Thank you, Jesus. That's what gives us the motivation for why we are here. That's what gives us the motivation for why we do what we do. I also want to say thank you to the worship team. I just think they've done a beautiful job of bringing us before the Lord today. And now as we continue in our stewardship month, what a joy it is. And I will tell you, it's exciting to stand up here and to be able to see all of you this morning. And I know when you're looking at me, you've got some other things to think. Because though I don't look like it today, as age and other habits have had their own impacts, uh, I've been a runner all my life. Elementary school, high school, I even ran in college then after the college and the Navy, even though I might not have been able to maintain my routines and my workouts, you know, that fitness test would still come up every six months, but it really didn't matter. It could come up and, you know, I'd just get my running shoes out and I'd go run because that's the way God made me. I just ran. But then I decided to do something a little bit different. I decided to run the Honolulu Marathon. Now, That's going to take something a little bit different, some more uh, discipline compared to what I had. I couldn't treat that like I used to treat the Navy's fitness tests. I had to change some things to get ready. I had to eat better. I had to run more. I mean, just including running those distances, 5K, 10K, 15, up to a half marathon, even a 30K before actually running the marathon itself. It was one of the most physically demanding things I've ever done in my life. And to finish that race took a discipline unlike anything that I had walked through in all my years of running. But as I stand here before you today, well, I can tell you about that race, but other than the story, it really had very little lasting impact, even with all the effort and the discipline that went into it. Now, I'm glad I ran the race, but for today, it's simply just a checkoff on my bucket list. Why? Well, because it was simply a physical test that the Lord placed before me, not for his purposes, but he allowed me to choose if I wanted to be able to do that or not. He didn't place it before me as a way to learn about him. The preparations, yes, they took a great deal of discipline, but it wasn't a trial that drew me closer to him. In fact, my relationship with him at that time was incredibly weak. But in truth, what did I learn? I learned it was really hard. I, I did learn that I was physically, com- physically able to complete a marathon, but I also learned that I was really no one special when it came to running those kind of distances. And so then after my body had recovered, there really was very little profit other than a cool t-shirt. Now, all of that, and I'll come back to that later, but that's really the reason why we asked someone like Marsha to share her testimony to, for us today because it's pretty clear that her journey took something far greater than the discipline to exercise. Her journey began with the hope that she found in Christ, even as she walked her journey alone, longing for Scott to join her. Her discipline took far more than tying up her running shoes. She had to strap on the full armor of God every day, on the easy days and on the hard days, on the days when she and Scott would get to take the kids to the beach, and on the days when she had to head out the door to church without him. So how could she do that? Hope. Hope. The kind of hope that will help us to have the discipline to walk through the trials that are before us today. It's the kind of hope that we're focusing on this month. So this month, we are looking at the stewardship of our hope. And it's because of hope that we're able to steward the many gifts and calling that the Lord has placed before us. 
Now, last week, we had a very powerful testimony on stewarding our mission to share Christ in obedience to the message and the command to go and make disciples. And now, if you missed last week, I do want to encourage you. All of our sermons are always still online, including if you want to go back and get the notes. I mean, all of that is available so that we can go back, even after the fact, to steward our growth. Because I know sometimes I need to go back and listen again to really let God's Word sink in from what I heard on Sunday. I also want to briefly encourage you that the stewardship devotionals that were given out, if you did not get one last week, we do have some more, and David will have those in the back of the service today. And I want to encourage you to use those devotionals to go through as we think about these principles of stewardship. As we do each year, as we bring these four factors into our thinking, we find that they become a part of our everyday life. So as a quick review, I thought we'd just go through them together, and I want you to read these with me, because I want you all to be working towards memorizing these stewardship factors as we think about it. So read it with me, where it says, God owns everything, you own nothing. God entrusts you with everything that you have. You can either increase or diminish what God has given. He wants you to increase it. And God can call you into account at any time. And it may be today. I want to encourage us as a church family to bring these into our life this time, this year, as well as in the years to come. So I want you to study these, memorize them, because as they become a part of your lifestyle, they help shape our thinking about how we make the decisions that we make, how we choose what to do and what not to do. Because recall, as Pastor Viers described, stewardship is a broad idea throughout the Bible. This is not just the month we talk about money. It's about abilities. It's about our health, our work, our relationships, and our ministries. And now today, we're specifically going to talk about how do we seek to prepare for any or all of these. I might even call this, steward, this sermon the stewardship of preparation, but I'd rather use the words that God uses in the scripture that we're going to use today. And so we're going to study the stewardship of personal discipline. And so if you will, if you're using the Bibles in front of you, I want you to pull those out. We're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. That's on page 163 in the back section of those Bibles. Now, just a quick pause again. If you're here today and you don't have a copy of God's word that you're able to uh, refer to and go back to throughout the week, guess what? That Bible in the chair, we want you to know that's for you. In fact, take it with you, write your name in it, because we want the Bible to be something more than just we pick it up so that we can read along with the pastor on Sunday. Now, in the letter of 1 Timothy, Paul is seeing problems cropping up in the churches, and as such, he's charging Timothy with some important and challenging assignments to fix these problems. Well, at the same time, Paul is also seeking to protect Timothy by warnings, similar warnings that we'd heard in the teachings from 2 Peter, because the danger and harm that would come from following those false teachings would be far worse than the sore muscles you might see or I saw after my marathon. And so we want to dig into what God's Word has to say. Now, our main points as we talk are going to come through verses 1 through 6. But to see the context, I want us to begin reading in chapter 4, verse 1. And so, if you will, join me. This is 1 Timothy, chapter 4, starting at verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says 
that in the later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own consciences as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to, gr- to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it's received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. And at verse 6, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself. There it is. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this that we labor and strive, because we've fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. And so now today, with God's word in our hearts, I want us to be able to dig in this so that we can find three steps to being a good steward of our personal discipline. So if you're going to take steps, you got to start with number one, right? So our first step is to set the right goal for what we've been seeking to accomplish. Look again what we find in verses 6 and 7. You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you've been following. If we want to know where we're going, it helps to know the destination, doesn't it? And in all that Paul was telling Timothy to do, he wanted him to see the goal, the goal of being a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now, wouldn't you say that's a powerful statement for any of us? I know when the day comes that you're going to put this old man into the ground, the things that I would love to hear said, how about all of you? On that day, wouldn't we want to hear, here lies John. Here lies John, a good servant. Not just a good servant, but a servant of Christ Jesus. That's a pretty good goal, wouldn't you say? That's a target I can get behind as I look to steward my personal discipline. So then we have to ask ourselves, what's it going to take to get there? Thankfully, Paul fills in some of those details so that we can hold on to them. He starts by telling us to reject false teaching. We focused a lot on false teaching over the last couple of months with our study of 2 Peter. And here, when Paul says, in pointing out these things, it's the false teaching of verses 1 through 5 he's referring to. And in verse 7, he goes so far as to say we should have nothing to do with worldly fables. We can't tolerate them in the church. We must reject them because they're from the world, not from God's truth. And they're not drawing us to a holiness because they're simply fables, myths, lies that the world wants us to believe. And if we're focused on the wrong teaching, we'll be focused on the wrong goal and we'll pursue things other than being a good servant of Christ Jesus. But just like in sports, Paul teaches us that the best offense 
Her best defense is a good offense. Paul calls, calls us to go on the offense to reject false teaching by investing in the study of Scripture. Does that surprise you from God's Word? I certainly hope not. Because when Paul trained pastors and disciples of Christ, he pointed to them over and over again that they might seek out the Word of God. Because when we're seeking the right goal, this step becomes more than just simply having our devotionals in the morning over a cup of coffee. It's about how we use God's Word in our life. The Scripture calls us to be constantly nourished. Let me take you back to the marathon very briefly. So on race day, I got up at 2 o'clock in the morning to get ready for the race. So I went and found the all-night pancake house, and I ate two stacks of pancakes. Carb-loading, right? And then I drank lots of water, six, eight glasses of water while I was sitting on the table. Hydration. And then during the race, I never missed a water stop. Stopped at every one for hydration. Even had those little squeezy packs with the, car- I mean, with the carbs in them. Kind of strange, but yes, they help. But still, by mile 21, it was all gone. It was all gone, and every muscle in my legs began to cramp. Why? Because in that day, I just tried to nourish for the moment, rather than constant nourishing. Well, let me ask you, are you seeking God's Word as a constant nourishment, nourishing your soul Even when we refer to God's Word in every part of our lives, when you have a decision do you make, do you ask yourself, what does God's Word say about this? And not just thinking about it going, well, I know there's something in there about this, so I'll just do what I think. But really, what's the chapter and verse? What does it actually say? What biblical truth or theology helps me to evaluate my options? Well, Paul knew that his readers would need the life-giving and unchanging source of truth to navigate this world. Paul goes on further to help us understand what he's talking about by describing the word in two ways. First, he calls it the words of faith. To be a good servant of Christ Jesus, we must steward the personal discipline to grow in our knowledge and understanding of the meaning of individual passages of Scripture, lest we begin to use God's Word in a flippant way and simply say things that are going to make us feel better. For example, we might say, well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, there was a day a long time ago when Kathy and I sat in the back of a ski boat and we were chanting that over and over again to our son, Chris, who was trying to learn how to get up skiing. I'm not sure I was being a good servant of Jesus Christ then because that's not what that passage means. Or what about if we put in our house a big print that says, for I know the plans I have for you from Jeremiah 29, 11 thinking to myself, God's plans, that I would have a big house and well-behaved kids. But we forget that God's purpose through the prophet Jeremiah was to tell them that he was sending the people of Israel back into exile and that he was going to ask them to live a hard life in a foreign land. And so to be a good steward of our personal discipline and a good servant of Christ Jesus, we must seek to know and understand the words of faith applying them faithfully with God's meaning, not what we want it to mean. But then it's also about things more than just verses. 
we also have to look at the whole of God's word. And so that's where he says, let's look at sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. For example, when a person speaks about worry and anxiety, we might talk about our circumstances. We might attribute our responses to what's happening. But then we go and we find that one verse. And I can find lots of verses in God's word that say, don't worry. Do you find that helpful? That's why we need the whole of God's word, the sound doctrine. Because we're called to cast our current concerns upon him. But still, why? Well, because he cares about us. Well, how do I know? The good servant of Christ Jesus sees how what they believe about God changes the way that they respond in everyday life, even in response to worries. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, I know God, he's all-knowing, so doesn't he already know my needs? So why is he telling me that I need to make my request known to him? Well, because we need to understand. He tells us to make our requests with thanksgiving because giving thanks for how he has been faithful in the past will help us to walk in times of worry and anxiety. Giving thanks even for times he's been faithful, even in the same problems or similar issues, so that we can stand upon the truth of who God is. Remember, our theology impacts our ability even in how we address worry. But then we'd stand there and go, yeah, but the tr- my problems are still happening. The challenge is still there. I thought I was doing what God told me to do. Based on sound doctrine, even there we need to choose how we're going to live. We trust the Lord that he will help us in our challenge, and then we choose to obey him, knowing that the Lord has promises for us. For example, in James, where he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In stewarding our personal discipline, we're seeking the right goal as we trust that God has a purpose for us, even in our trials and challenges. We can't hold on to that truth in our hearts without committing to the constant nourishing of the words of faith and sound doctrine. Now, can I give you a couple of examples of ways that we might be able to grow in this and walk? Because I know it's not about managing your email, and I know it's not about just how you're going to schedule your time. So let's think about some bigger things that we could be doing, like how will we choose to learn to grow in the words of faith? and our understanding of sound doctrine so that we can apply it to our lives. Folks, we're just a few months away from the Biblical Counseling Training Conference that happens every year here at Faith. It starts on February 11th. And in that, we spend a whole week applying the individual text, the word of faith, and sound doctrine to the issues of everyday life. Now, honestly, I believe that every one of us would benefit by going through track one. Now, that's not saying that we should all be going on to go be biblical counselors, but the feedback that I hear from people who go to the conference tells me it's a blessing to each of us because those who go there saying, well, I went to hear and be trained on how I could help others, and through that week, I found so many things that were just the help for my soul. 
And so I hope that we would all consider attending. And as a church, we want to encourage you all. And so that's why Faith Church members have a rate far below uh, the public when they come in on those things. But just think about those things. And if you're sitting here today and you're saying, well, I think I could get that week off and I could spend that time, but I'm not so sure that the fee wouldn't get in the way. Don't let that stop. Please come and talk to me. Let us try and figure that out for you too. But if you're looking at it and you're saying, but a whole week, really? I'm not sure I can do that. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's I have kids at home. Well, there's also a pre-conference, one, a one-day seminar on February 10th, talking about what God's Word says about trauma. There's a common topic for today, and we need to be nourished on the Word rather than listening to what the world might tell us about solutions and the impacts of trauma. My point is that being a good steward of your personal discipline includes making commitments of time that it takes to grow in the understanding of the Word and to address the everyday issues of life so that we won't be drawn astray by the things of the world, being drawn astray by what they might call good or wise, but it's simply an old fable. Next, our second step. Our second step, pursue the correct means. Paul continues specifically saying to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. But ask yourself, how are we going to be good servants of Christ Jesus? By disciplining ourselves for godliness. Now, I'm going to get back to the actual definition of godliness and what we want to say there. But for now, let's talk about discipline. Because it took discipline to step-by-step build the endurance for a marathon. But God's word says that we need to recognize that even that is of limited value. Now, notice I didn't say no value. Sound doctrine tells us that man is made up of two parts, the material and the immaterial, the body and the soul. And the Bible clearly teaches that physical death results in the separation of the two parts. And yet, while we live, while we are alive, our body and soul interact. Think about it. When I wake up in the morning, I've got to get this body with a jump start of caffeine. Why? So that I can nourish it with the Word. For someone suffering through cancer, they may need to walk in trusting in God with the physical, knowing that it can be pretty taxing to be happy in Jesus when chemo is hardly trying to let you out of your bedroom. But that's not just personal experience that we see here. 1 Timothy 5 brings that out too, where Paul encouraged Timothy to take a little wine for the sour stomach and for frequent ailments. Bodily discipline includes many things. It includes eating, sleeping, exercise, and the appropriate amounts, because we will be more productive, we'll be more energized and better able to handle the trials and difficulties of life when we steward the physical of our body, But maybe not so if I spend all of my time doing that. If I'm in the gym across here 12 hours a day, I'm not so sure I'm doing the things to constantly nourish myself with the Word of God. Now, Paul clearly values godliness over physical discipline. So let's take a look at why bodily discipline is of limited value, because it's limited in extent. Bodily discipline might keep my physical heart strong, but if that's my focus... Then when things don't go my way, the things that will flow out of my heart, well, they're going to make me just as much of a pill as the next guy around me. Bodily discipline might make me look good. But then we're talking about the pride and idolatry 
in working to maintain that look. Paul's telling us that bodily discipline is of limited profit because our only bodily discipline, because bodily discipline cannot save. And so it's limited in extent and it's limited in duration. This body is of only value for this life, for this little while. Consider what it says in 2 Corinthians 4. This old man is wasting away. We can clearly see that in the effectiveness of our bodily disciplines too. Going back to running. You know what? Running five miles was pretty easy when I was 37. Now at 57, these knees are not nearly so cooperative. And I know there's some of you out there going, Rod, just wait till you're 67. It's going to continue. Yeah, okay, we'll get there. Because I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't care about bodily discipline. In fact, I do believe we should. It's stewardship month, and we're called to steward the gifts of these bodies. But what that means is that we should all enjoy what we eat while demonstrating self-control over how much. That we should remain active so that we can remain active in the ministry. We should even regularly seek medical care with an eye on identifying early things that might be causing us to be wasting away. But in all of that, we must remember that bodily discipline is of limited profit and we need to pursue the right means by disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness because we see the value of godliness. See what he says. Godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, I promised I'd come back to a definition of godliness, and, well, this is probably as good a point of any, and so I'm thankful that we get to prepare these messages in pastoral teams because I love the, I, the definition that we were able to come up with together. Listen to this. Godliness characterizes the person who lives with an active awareness that God is with them and a desire to respond in a way pleasing to God. That's godliness. Let me say that one more time. Godliness characterizes the person who lives with an active awareness that God is with them and a desire to respond in a way pleasing to God. If I say that I profess to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life, do I choose how to follow him and choose to do things that honor and please him? Consider, do you think that a person would watch pornography if Jesus appeared visibly and asked them, why are you watching that? Do you think that a husband would blow up at his wife and children if Jesus appeared visibly to him and said, why did you speak in that tone and with harsh words to my children? A person who pursues godliness, who recognizes that Jesus is present in their life, chooses to take specific and practical steps to live more consistently with God. And this is where personal discipline becomes so important. When Paul says to discipline yourself, he's describing the types of activities that an athlete would use in preparing for a race or a soldier would use in preparing for battle. And so like these examples, personal discipline here for us, it does take structure and practice. And so I want to share just a few ideas of ways that we can bring that in, to live more aware of God's presence in our lives, and then allow that to motivate us to live more in line with his commands. How about in the area of prayer? 
Do we commit to praying ceaselessly? Is it part of our morning? Is it part of your day throughout the day? Is it one of the last things you do before you close your eyes at night? Just simply making prayer a part of your life. And if you want to take that to the next level, consider keeping a prayer journal, particularly a journal that has in it a list of prayer needs. They're not all about me. I'm praying for others, but this allows me to move through those prayers and be able to be very specifically about how I'm making my request before God. I also need to commit to knowing God's word. For example, but let's think about some practical ways. Do you struggle with impatience while you're driving? Well, consider, will you put a card on your dashboard that says Philippians 2, 3, and 4? Will you put Ephesians 4, 29 to say, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, even though you may be the only person in your car? How about, do you grumble and complain? How will you choose to give thanks? All of these things then will also help us in our discipline because one of the things I want to recommend is don't try and do everything at one time. Pick a focus, a singular focus for pursuing discipline because we can't accomplish it all at once. So, for example, if we do find that grumbling and complaining is something that we struggle with, then commit in that time to working on giving thanks where you would have previously complained. Or maybe your life's characterized by running to TV and binge-watching shows or running to something else like alcohol, cigarettes, or anything else to get away from problems. How are we going to commit before the Lord to say that I want to address my problems promptly, right now, instead of avoiding them? Focus on one thing at a time. I know it's hard. I know it has a cost. But in 2 Timothy 2, Paul calls us to suffer hardship with him. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, for no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And that might mean that we have to give some things up including the things that we would ourselves call good. But we have to do so to make room and time and bandwidth to do what is best as we discipline ourselves for godliness because it's profitable for the present circumstances. Now, godliness doesn't promise ease and comfort. In fact, in 2 Timothy 3, it tells us those who practice godliness will be persecuted. But godliness does reduce the stress, pressure, and hardship of everyday life because we no longer have the consequences of living in an ungodly life. When you seek godliness, you'll speak to your spouse differently. When you seek godliness, you'll resist temptation differently. When you seek godliness, you'll make decisions that are in the best interest of the Lord and you'll reap the benefits of doing so. It changes how we live. It even brings Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 to life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. That's the direction to go. But beautifully, 
Solomon didn't stop there. Listen to what he says in the following verses. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil, and it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. That's the blessing of godliness, folks. And it sure sounds like a blessing for the present, but it's also a blessing for the things still to come. We know that as a follower of Christ, we will enjoy eternal life. But godliness today has even more blessing. Look what Jesus said when he says, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. That's saying for the sake of pursuing godliness who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. Because no matter how many miles I run, no matter how much I work at it, nothing I do can change my eternal state or add to my eternal rewards. But disciplining myself for the purpose of godliness, that's a workout that matters, folks. And we need to appreciate the significance of this statement. If Paul hasn't convinced you of this through, at this point through uh, his passage, he certainly left a statement here to make that point. It's a trustworthy statement, deserving of acceptance. He's pounding on the podium right there saying, remember this. Bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, the third step to being a good steward of our personal discipline, it's a willingness to pay the high cost. Friends, everything has a cost, right? We have to decide what we are willing to pay. But we're not talking about with money. We're talking about the cost within our lives. He says, for this, we labor and strive. Because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. The Lord clearly asks that we would be willing to pay the cost, that we would labor and strive with disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness. He also clearly says that there is reward that comes with this high cost because the labor and strife in which we invest, it is worth it, folks. It's worth it because our hope is fixed on a living God. We have a hope in a living God. Now, when we look back at the Old Testament, they often referred to Yahweh as the living God because they were contrasting him to the dead idols, the man-made idols that people would call gods. But we serve a living God. And he is active in our world. And our hope is fixed on him. A hope that he allows us to be good servants of Christ Jesus and that he will reward those who diligently seek him through godliness. Disciplining ourselves for godliness. Trusting that he is the one who is able to help us grow to be more like Christ. And as we steward our hope in him, because of what we know to be true, we can stand praising because our God saves. Now, as we read verse 10, it can bring up some big questions, but I'm going to start with the things we all would say are true and something that everyone agrees on. God saves believers. 
This is the truth that motivates us to steward our mission, just as we looked at last week. It's the truth that motivates us to steward our personal discipline so that God can use us in His ministries, recognizing that no one can discipline themselves to heaven. God has to be the one. Our God saves. When I met Scott Butler almost five years ago, I saw a man of discipline. I saw discipline in how he sought to exercise. I saw discipline in how he sought to care for his cars and his home in many areas of his life. And those disciplines were of little profit. But the greater profit that came from inside the home as he and Marcia disciplined themselves for godliness. But that all started years ago as Marcia sought to live a life for Christ in a manner that would win her husband without a word by her behavior. Assured of her own salvation, she trusted in the Lord with her husband. And she did so for decades, long before I even met Scott. And Marcia's stewarding of her personal discipline came with a great profit as the Lord used her life and testimony to bring new life to her husband. And though they didn't have decades together, after Scott's salvation, I know that Marcia values the eternal rewards, the opportunity to then one day worship together our Lord and Savior, that she wouldn't go back and change anything that has happened in the past. Folks, I want to ask, is there someone in your life who you desperately want that they would choose Christ? Is it your spouse, a son or daughter, a friend or co-worker? We can take hope in our living God who is actively saving people, who is miraculously transforming lives. And he calls us to pursue godliness so that we can be a good servant of Christ Jesus in stewarding our discipline and then trust that God may use your testimony in Christ as a means of changing someone else's life. Now, I do need to also still address why Paul added the phrase at the end, especially believers. Now, it's easy to agree that God saves believers because it's consistent throughout all of Scripture. But what about the phrase before it, the Savior of all men? Well, again, we've got to look at sound doctrine, the whole of God's Word to understand this. Because we see God as one who provides common grace to the lost. The saving of all men indicates that there is a saving deliverance that's experienced by all mankind. But from the whole of God's word, Paul is not pointing to eternal life in this phrase. In this case, we're speaking of common grace, which describes how every person experiences God's protection, care, and even deliverance even though they may not recognize it, even though they may not acknowledge God in it, it still happens. That deliverance includes God's forbearance. As he delays our penalty of sin, patiently waiting for us. And so, folks, I do want to ask, is he waiting for you? Because we can't read this scripture to say that God will save all men. And if you have not chosen to make Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, I want you to know that God's free gift of grace 
stands ready for each and every one of us to be able to receive. Is he waiting for you? Because I have to let you know, it cannot be too early. But tragically, you can be too late. If you have questions, please, please, stop today. Find one of the pastors. Find someone here, a friend, that you have seen living in true godliness, the way that I've been describing them, and ask the question, why do you have hope in a living God? Because it's never too early. But it can be too late. Again, for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, are you willing to pay the cost? To give up your desires to pursue godliness? Will you trust the the Lord with the rewards knowing that it may be your testimony that he will use to save someone that you love? Because why did Jesus come? To seek and save the lost. We need to steward our personal discipline that he can use us in that ministry. Today we've emphasized the stewardship of personal discipline and the three steps that we are each called to take. We need to set the right goal, being servants of Christ Jesus. We need to choose the right means, pursuing godliness in all things. And we need to have a willingness to pay the cost, trusting that our God can do far greater in His greatest mission to seek and save the lost. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today, Lord, rejoicing in who you are, that we can have hope fixed upon a living God. Lord, we know that you are living and active in our world. Lord, that you care about the smallest details in our lives. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to pursue godliness, to discipline ourselves for your purposes for your work in our lives. Lord, shape and mold us to make us more like your son. Father, we need you. As the trials of this life bear upon us, as false teachers try to draw us away from you, Lord, help us to be nourished in your word. Lord, to hold on to your sound doctrine. Lord, help us to hold on to you. And Father, I pray that if there is anyone here today who needs questions answered, who needs to come to know you truly as Lord and Savior in their life. Father, I pray that you would draw them today. Lord, help them to take that step towards you. For Lord, we know that you are a God who saves. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.